Listener Production. Welcome to Real Crime Features. I'm Adam Shand. This podcast was originally published as part of New South Wales Police State Crime Command. On September 24, 2011, part of a human jawbone was found on Kingscliff Beach in northern New South Wales. It was a fragment, badly weathered, that included five teeth. Nothing else was found that day, and there were no clues how it ended up in the shallows of a popular beach. This discovery was the start of a nine-year investigation for New South Wales police and forensic scientists. The search for answers would lead them back to a dramatic day of tragedy and heroism decades earlier. And then investigators would find a grave with a space reserved for a young man who never came home. The last time we saw them, they took off in the dinghy and we were in the water. And I remember thinking, well, they should be all right. But um, never really found out what happened. I never will know, really. The inscription read that his body was lost at sea. Hope never dies for a family who loses a loved one. But the chance for closure had seemed more remote as the years passed. I could probably say never in a million years. That story was about to be rewritten. My name is Glenn Brown. I'm the manager of the Missing Persons Registry at State Crime Command. I've been a member of the New South Wales Police Force for more than 33 years. When Glenn Brown's team began work on this case in 2020, the jawbone was one of many human remains on the books of the New South Wales Missing Persons Registry. We have more than 300 unidentified human remains cases. For most of those, we don't have DNA, unfortunately, because they were buried long before DNA was ever contemplated as a tool for identifying unidentified human remains. In this case, there was DNA more than enough contained in the pulp of the teeth to create a genetic profile. In 2012, the jawbone was sent to the New South Wales Forensic and Analytical Science Service for detailed study. Originally, we needed to be able to compare the direct DNA for a missing person to the direct DNA of the body parts. My name is Carol Field and I am the manager of the Database and Case Management Unit at New South Wales Health Pathology. In 2012, there were limits to what science and Carol Field's team could do with the mystery jawbone. The only DNA profiles that could be uploaded to the New South Wales database were the so-called autosomal profiles. We all get our DNA from our parents. So we get half of our autosomal DNA from our mum and half from our father. So a person's DNA profile, autosomal DNA, is made up of half of their mother and half of their father. DNA searching capabilities on the New South Wales and national databases were limited in 2012. And the only type of searching or matching that could be carried out back in 2012 was what we call a direct match. So you would 
upload your profile to the database and it would search every other profile that it's legally allowed to search against. It would search for a match. So in 2012, unless a reference DNA profile for the deceased person had been uploaded to the database, there was no chance of any match with the DNA profile from the jawbone. Well, the DNA database is just a collection of DNA profiles that are basically sorted into categories. Now, you have to remember the database was initially created for solving crime. So the majority of DNA profiles on the database are actually from crime scene samples. Then we also have offenders, convicted offenders. So that's a reference sample from someone who has been convicted of an offence. There will be reference samples from suspects. So in this case, the DNA from that jawbone was run against existing databases? Well, we first, we put it onto the New South Wales DNA database and we didn't get a match. We then uploaded it onto the National DNA Database, but unfortunately we didn't get a match at the national level either. Police did briefly have another lead on the jawbone. In February 2007, a light plane crashed about 150 metres off the coastline at Kingscliff. The remains of the solo pilot who was killed in the crash were recovered with extensive facial injuries. However, that possible link was eliminated by the coroner through DNA analysis. The identity of the jawbone's owner remained a mystery. The identity of the deceased will not be established. I'm satisfied that all relevant and pertinent inquiries have been made. The cause, manner and date of death are not known. I return an open finding. And so, for nine years, this question remained, waiting for genetic technology to advance far enough to reveal the answer. But then in 2020, that changes. What happened? Technology changes. We can do more things with DNA now. And so there's some new capabilities that New South Wales developed and as well as at the national level were also developed. One of those is familial searching. When you don't have a reference sample from the actual missing person, you're never going to get a direct match from an unknown remain to anything else. But the other type of profiles that the police will regularly obtain is reference samples from the relatives of missing persons. So in the past, and this is what happened back in 2012 and many years after that, what the police would do, they would call us up and they would ask us to do a manual comparison between DNA profiles of unknown remains and relatives of missing persons. In the intervening years, genetic science continued to advance and the answer to the mystery of the Kingscliff jawbone drew closer. So, but what we can do is know we had this new capability. So we can take a unknown deceased profile and we can run it against our database from all of the missing persons relatives. No, that was something we couldn't do in the past. And it's only at the New South Wales level at this stage, but we can do that. And we did that, but unfortunately, we still didn't get a match. Then in August 2020, everything changed. There was a match for the jawbone with the DNA of a young man serving a prison sentence. For this tooth from the jaw, in this case, they have run their familial search against all the offenders and suspect profiles and that's what gave us a hit. We call it a potential relative because we don't know if it truly is a relative. No, because our unknown remain was male 
and the potential relative that we identified through our familial search was also male, we can do some further testing for this. We routinely do Y chromosome testing on all of our male unknown remains, so we already had a Y DNA profile developed from that. So what we did was we took this potential relative and we did a Y test on that reference sample and that came back a match. So we could confirm to the police that the unknown remain and this potential relative are not parent and child, but they could be a paternal relative. So then it could be a brother, a half-brother, an uncle, a nephew, a cousin. And that's about as close as we could actually get with this DNA information that we had. So after nine years, police finally had a relative to their unknown missing person. He was a close relative who'd been unlucky enough to find himself in jail over an assault charge in 2020. That misfortune would lead to the solution of a 40-year-old mystery. The job began for my unit, the Missing Persons Registry, when one of our scientists notified us that a familial DNA link had been established between a jawbone found at Kingscliff and DNA contained within our database for a person currently serving a custodial sentence, a jail sentence. It is a great example of how the technology is constantly evolving. So we got that link between the jawbone and a prisoner in a jail in New South Wales. And from there, we dispatched investigators to go and talk to that prisoner. Well, fortunately, he was able to tell us that he did have a family member that he'd heard about who died in a boating accident quite some time ago. And he wasn't even sure what year it was. It had happened before he was born, I believe. So, so very sketchy information? Yeah, it was very sketchy information at the moment, but um, fortunately, by following that trail, it did lead to a result. Police now had a name, William John Moran. This was a significant moment, the first time a missing person had been identified through a familial DNA link to an offender sample in New South Wales. There was still a lot of work to be done. While Bill Moran was a missing person, his remains had been found in the water. So this was the jurisdiction of the New South Wales Marine Area Command. Well, we have a number of unresolved missing persons matters in New South Wales. My unit isn't able to complete all of those investigations, so quite often we look for the command that should have responsibility for that job. In this case, it was a boating accident at sea and therefore is the responsibility of our Marine Area Command. Fortunately for me, I knew a very competent and capable detective that worked at the Marine Area Command. Kel was a member of my homicide investigation team for quite some time. She has helped me with a number of jobs over the years. Uh, more recently, Strike Force Roxana, which was the investigation into a number of Brothers for Life related murders. My name is Kelly Vaness. I'm a Detective Senior Constable and I now work with the Marine Area Command. I've been a member of the New South Wales Police for 20 years now. I started my career at the Ashfield Police Station where I went from GDs into the detective's office. I left there in 2009 and went across to the Homicide Squad and I've spent the last two years here at the Marine Area Command. I received a call from Glenn. I'd worked with Glenn and he knew I was here at the Marine Area Command. He rang and told me that he had a job for me. 
he only had very scarce details. He did sound excited because I learnt that it was the very first familial DNA link for a missing person, so that was exciting for Glenn and his team. Glenn needed me to follow up on some documents that he thought may exist at the Marine Area Command, given it had related to a Marine-related accident. He didn't have the details of when it occurred or where it occurred. He only simply had the name of William Moran. So where do you start with a job like that? Well, I thought that maybe I could reach out to our search and rescue coordinators here at the Marine Area Command. Um, So I spoke to some of them to see if we would have any records that would date back prior to 1986 and how I'd go about finding out if there had been a significant yacht accident which resulted in the death of a person and a missing person and where we'd go to from there. Yeah, because you had a name. Yeah, Glenn had mentioned to me that William Moran was missing but we weren't certain as to whether or not he had been reported to the coroner as a missing person. Because these things, often they're a paper chase to begin with. The answer's in the file somewhere, somehow. So you you got to sort of work out, what's my plan of attack here? All I had was a name. So I then just started to do a few searches on the internet just to see if there was any media articles that would pop up. So police use Google as well? We do, we do. Well, I do. <laughs> so I just simply put in a search of their, their name and yacht accident and northern New South Wales, just a few different keywords as such. And what came up? It brought me to a headstone, a tombstone, and then it brought up the name of William Moran and that William was missing person lost at sea as a result of the nocturne tragedy. I did a few more searches on Google at that point, given that I'd located the tombstone and it brought me to a news article in the Australian and it detailed part of that accident that had happened on that date back in 1979, September 1979. So from there I followed up with a couple of the courts just in relation to obtaining um, coronial inquest material in relation to William. As Kelly Vaness read through the inquest into Bill Moran's disappearance, something caught her eye. I had recorded the 24th of September 1979 as the date the vessel Nocturne went down. And as I was recording the date the jawbone was located, I realised the date was familiar. The date was the 24th of September 2011 which was the same date just some 32 years later. From transcripts of a coroner's inquest into Bill Moran's disappearance, the details of an amazing story unfolded. We'll follow this story of tragedy and deliverance when we return for the next episode of Lost at Sea. State Crime Command is produced in collaboration with the New South Wales Police Force and Real Crime Australia. Written and produced by Adam Shan. Executive producer, Grant Tothill. Original music and mixing by Matt Nikolic. The associate producer, Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nolly Wei Shand. Digital producer, Jack Shand. Listener.